Today we have Devi with us in our podcast. Devi has an impressive track record having worked at as principal engineer at Atlassian. She has also been staff software engineer at Razorpay and a founding engineer at Power to Fly. Uh, Devi is an active open source contributor and a part of Python community where she has given multiple talks including the keynote speech at PyCon India 2019. Right now Devi is working on starting her own venture. She is an excellent software engineer, leader and an inspiration to many women in tech. Devi, I have always looked up to you since I started my career in the software world. So talking to you in this podcast is a big deal for me. Thank you for being my guest and I am looking forward to learn from you. Thank you so much Srishti for inviting me over and it's a pleasure of being here sharing my experiences and learnings. My first question to you is what made you decide to move from your stable job as principal engineer at Atlassian to start your own venture? Hmm. And that's a very difficult decision that I had to take and a question that I'm being asked several times in these months that are after quitting job and in the recent years i felt very very strongly that the planet that we live on the earth and the climate change is actually taking over us and as humans who are responsible for the climate crisis each one of us this is the time and we don't have any more time left each one of us have to do something and the environment the ecosystem of startups and also venture capitals are also actually able to see the need for that that propelled me saying why not be into it and and see what you can do so that's where i am i'm trying to start something on my own in the in the climate change space specifically in water that's where i am and each one of us i guess directly or indirectly have to contribute positively to the climate change Yeah. So this is like a very beautiful way of obviously we all have a good uh, uh, journey as a software engineer and everything but in the end like the our main goal is to live a comfortable life in the long term and that can only happen when we are aware of climate change and if you are contributing towards helping supporting climate change it's a very good thought of you and Yeah you have taken a big decision towards it it's, it's very nice nice yeah. to hear okay so i'm excited about that but i am like i'm obviously very excited about your uh, startup venture and i'm hoping that it will be awesome journey and i will hear about it from you in the future so right now i would love to know about your uh, past experiences and my first question around that is on atlassian so tell me about your role in atlassian so what does a principal engineer do like uh, in general great um yeah looking back atlassian was an amazing company and the culture wise it was great and principal engineers seen as tech leaders and um, we were enabled in all sorts of ways and uh, we were working my team was working in on a platform called uh, data abstraction platform as you know atlassian has a bunch of products um, jira confluence and but bucket or what not right and they are also moving there are i mean very critical and a niche condition where they are moving as a company as an organization on prem offerings to a cloud offering right all these products were provided as licenses and all the the clients or the customers had their data on their own servers 
but now um, Atlassian as a company is moving towards um, cloud offerings so that you don't need to have uh, to manage Jira, I mean, Jira data yourself. Brings in challenges of how do you manage encryption, how do you manage privacy, how do you manage resilience, n number of things, right? Engineering challenges it brings in. And that's where data abstraction platform fits in. We were trying to solve, this is a platform which will in turn enable all of these products which Atlassian owns, right? And principal engineers are supposed to actually take this vague statement and which is broken down into maybe a little bit pieces by architects. We have principal architects as well and like data residency, um, right? How do we ensure that uh, the data of a particular customer can be in their own uh, geological region of their choice. That's a big question to answer. Now, this big piece, this is also a big piece, um, though it, it ties to, to the vision directly. This big piece, how do you actually tackle it? How do you um, how do you propose a solution to that? So we meet a lo lot of these product teams and understand what it is and what are their current uh, data usage. And it's, it's like a startup journey. I mean, talking to customers talking understanding their pain points and coming up with a solution and getting them getting them executed right that's what it was and we have actually launched a very primary version of uh, the platform um i was i mean our team the whole team was very proud of it nice so to my question around uh, like there are like a lot of things you mentioned like about uh, in the challenges part uh, encryption privacy resilience and uh, also you talked about like you have uh, taking a vague statement and then coming up uh, in the end the end result comes up to a uh, product which you have built so how did you uh, like what were the steps you took to take that vague statement to build the product like uh, what were what was your way of like thinking, I just want to understand how, as a principal engineer, how did you uh, break the problem into solvable part? Yeah, like any problem, we would like to understand the problem first, right? I mean, well, I mean, before coming with a solution, coming up with a solution, and that comes through talking with people, my team, my teammates, and whoever has envisioned this platform, the architects have who have envisioned this as a data platform, what is their vision, what, where did it come from, how, how do they see, and what are the pillars that they see them as, right? And then align, get that alignment in your own head. And also talk to the, uh, the product owners, which, I mean, who will be eventually our customers, because without buying from them, no a platform will be useless, um, like any other product. So what are their pain points and are they eager actually to move to such a platform if it exists and what kind of things that they are looking for understanding that so i have started as soon as i joined i started with these questions i mean taking these questions to our customers and i realized that there was very very minimal work done on this ground we, because we didn't have product managers then particular project and when i spoke to the customers i mean engineering managers of the of the products actually they were very open uh, and helpful to talk about uh, what they're looking for in this product so the first step was i said okay let's understand the capacity because i mean what is the data volume like because jira is a huge product it's being used by millions of organizations as customers so and each of them have terabytes of data i mean some of the big customers have a lot more than that right now what is it um the volume of the data and how much is it and 
only then you can actually come up with an architecture, right? Um, if not, actually, you might end up building a bridge which serves like thousand vehicles. But if you are actually uh, supposed to run like millions of vehicles every day on that, which is designed for having thousand vehicles, it'll not it, it'll not serve, right? It'll just collapse. So understanding what is it, what is it that they are looking for, how much is it supposed to bear, and how much is the expectations on on resilience, the availability, is it is it ninety nine point nine nine nine? Can we actually grade them? Like some of the customers, they are very very important based on the products that they are serving, like Jira. And some of the other uh, products and some of the, uh, other teams, they might not need uh, that kind of resilience. So we have come up with tiers, I mean, tier approach, tier one, tier two, tier three kind of thing. And then, so the product is getting shaped up, nothing in the engineering, you know, I mean, but once we have gotten this clarity, then we could quickly make decisions on the tools, what kind of things that we need to actually put in in, w, in AWS uh, for the cloud and how much each component should be resilient uh, to ensure these numbers that we have gotten, right? So we could work backwards, which has enabled us move quickly and and to take decisions with confidence that's the that's the biggest thing you know I mean we don't have any more questions on oh would this surface oh would this actually work there are no more questions our goal is clear and we were chased. we were actually targeting that which put us in a very good condition uh, the team was happy and we were happy my, my, our managers were happy and the product teams were happy so what else do we look for okay so that makes sense from what i understand so the main thing is first uh, understand the vision of the product you're going to build and by talking to product owners and architects and everyone and then finally uh, come up with a plan and also understand like the capacity uh, capacity or like the volume of data which you're dealing with and the upcoming requirements also i mean i needed to understand the upcoming requirements and how do i put them in a in a roadmap right i mean i can't give this broad vision to my engineers the team of junior engineers that i'm working with now my task would be like to cut down into small slices of a month's task or quarterly tasks and then break down break them break them down so that became easier okay that makes sense now this is like a generic question but i would uh, love to discuss this as well with you because you are an experienced engineer like what is the difference between and uh, a junior engineer and a senior like how can one transform from a junior engineer to a senior engineer or uh, a lead engineer what according to you is the way or direction yeah uh, very good question so when i joined in, into in software engineering as i mean in a company for the first time i did not know what it means what is the difference between a very good college project and working at a company right that's the difference that makes a junior engineer and a, a senior software engineer i guess in my opinion these are real problems now what what do we mean by real problems all the real problems have good trade-offs right there's no right way or a wrong way to to solve a real problem but whereas if you are given um, a data structures problem or an interview problem then you you can measure uh, that solution that particular solution in modularity readability blah 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 as as an engineer but when it comes to a real pro real solution to a real problem right um what is the impact what is the what is the ease of use what is the uh customer delight what 
and how are you working with your team are you are you being a go to person all of these actually all of these matter right so i when you look when an engineer looks at the problem at hand from these perspective right is this going to add to our customers delight what is their problem but through this particular task that i have in the sprint what is how is it enabling the customer end customer right how is it going to solve a particular problem that they have if we wear that cap then the problem is not only a programming problem anymore and you'll take up or you under your understanding of the task will be much more wider and your contribution or the code that you put in also becomes much more ready to change ready to enhance etc etc right so extensible all that comes naturally if you understand what is it so that's one thing and the other thing is uh, sharpen your tools while you're in a college and junior engineer i have seen a lot of people uh, spend so much of time configuring their their favorite editor their browser everything i i see juniors do it uh, with a lot of passion but once they come into i mean once they grow in their profession right these sharpening their tools becomes less and less important for some reason i don't know uh, that should be like um, every now and then you should you should one should sharpen their tools whatever they are your database technologies your languages your um, uh, is the tool that i am using uh, the right one to validate it actually you have to understand the ecosystem of the tools available uh, right now in the market right and um, what is the best way to use them to to be able to solve this real problem that i have it in my hand that's number 2 and i'll say number 3 is in any organization that you are in find that person like whom you want to be in next few years you would uh, see a charm oh wow that engineer is really rocking and i would like to be like that or a manager who is doing an awesome job i want to be like them then naturally you can have a meaningful relationship with them being a mentee or just follow them follow their work have some advice with them uh, understand their journey it makes a lot of difference it makes a lot of difference um yeah i think i think that's that's what i wanted to yeah so this is pretty cool i what you mentioned that the growth of software engineer happens like when when they work on a real problem real world problem and then they start thinking from customers perspective and then uh, the second thing which i also literally believe in like sharpening the tools i feel that my growth whatever till now has happened is because i kept on learning like i never stopped learning and uh, it really helped me learn a lot of tools technologies and a lot of things so i also believe in that and the third one is also like one of my favorite again like find finding mentors so this podcast is actually one way i'm looking to people from whom i get inspiration from and also in my company i went to few people and asked like would you like to be my mentor and they were happy to agree and uh, again from them i learned so much so all these points which you have mentioned is really valuable uh, especially for a new software engineer and thank you for sharing all this information 
That's so nice, Rishti, to hear that they resonate so well and so well with you. Cool. So now I want to talk about a bit about your journey at ResearchPay as well. So I want to understand like what are the interesting tech challenges which you faced at ResearchPay and what was your approach to solve them? Yeah, okay. Razorpay Razor Pay has actually uh, changed my career tra- trajectory, I would say, as an engineer. And it's a, it's a wonderful company to, uh, to be in as an engineer. Having said that, I worked on um, two major projects. One was uh, reconciliation engine and the other is absorbability. Absorbability was, is still closer to my heart, so I'll speak about that a little bit. So as a company, we were using Neuralic as our APM, application monitoring and performance uh, monitoring kind of thing. Uh, but it was hitting uh, hitting the limits uh, when when I was there in 2019, 2020 with them. Right? We were adopting as a company Golang uh, a lot and moving away from PHP Monolith and Neuralic did not have the support. So the challenge of the project that we were given as again is again one-liner, find a better alternative to Neuralink. How can we do better? Because all our engineers are taking a number of days to to find a root cause analysis to any problem. If one payment fails, something is going on, how can we enable engineers to figure out what is the problem, right? It could be cloud, it could be one part of infrastructure, it could be a, a small bug in one particular microservice, endless stream of microservices, and what is the problem? Um, how, how can we enable this? That's the problem statement, and uh, and it's again, uh, I was working with an architect, and we started with flooring open source softwares, and we made uh, buy versus build decisions, and lean towards build decisions, and <laughs> And being an being a startup, uh, we face a lot of questions to to back our argument. Uh, you know, I mean, who who can allow you to spend year or years um, on a, on building a platform if, if it doesn't get an ROI, um, enough ROI, right? Because there are a number of challenges, engineering challenges that can be solved to to keep keep ourselves in front of competitors. So we actually have finalized on an open source platform called Hypertrace and we have contributed back. We have productized, I mean, we have made it a product inside Razorpay and we have made it work for Razorpay, taking again few few microservices on board and then showing that as a victory that, oh, these people are now able to do root cause analysis and few few minutes rather than few days, can you also adopt? Can you also adopt? Can you also adopt? So the journey slowly became from engineering problem to adoption problem, now to drive adoption, how can you actually drive? By putting in more features, by putting in more ease of use, etc. But again, the principle actually becomes the same, what I was talking in Atlassian's example also. Right, understanding uh, what is the problem at hand and talking to the potential users and understanding what their problems are and looking at looking at um, the solution landscape. But if you start with solution, it gets you nowhere. So that's the same takeaway, but in a different form. Okay, so this is very interesting, like uh, the observability part. So even I'm working in in, the, in a startup and uh, initially we build the product and then this challenge of like being able to figure out 
a solution like whenever an issue happens that the solution to it evolved but uh, it was very interesting and we did like a lot of things around it but obviously like uh, being able to build a solution and then being able to like uh, motivate um, different teams to use it and then recognize its ability is like a big thing according to me apart from this in simple terms what is the understanding of observability so for me it's like if there is an issue i should be able to look into the logs and and quickly figure out what exactly happened and where exactly the uh, system failed so that is my understanding but would you like to add something to it or sure. uh, yeah yeah so right now um, in the in our uh, monitoring ecosystem right we have uh, three pillars that's what we call uh, logs traces and metrics right and um, there's there's so little of understanding i see from engineers i mean and and starting generally uh, there are few exceptional very good engineers who understand what is the purpose of these each of these actually uh, logs mm-hmm. logs metrics and uh, and uh, traces distributed traces right so mm-hmm. what actually log how do you actually log so that you will be able to search uh, is that structural log or unstructured log and what are the keywords that you are that you yourself as an engineer uh, try to search for when you are looking for a particular log is that a oh this is not working kind of log statement or does it have a structure from i mean uh, what is the component what is the what is the, i mean time stamp would be there but in what kind of scenario is it failing does a log have all the information and metrics also i see in a lot of organizations that there's overwhelming volumes of all of these you know logs metrics and traces but but they're not so useful they're not being used or being structured as useful things so so finding them when when you need one particular needle out of the haystack and become really really painful and especially when you are not the user of those logs um, if somebody else has put that log statement or somebody else had put that metric metrics and you are to you are supposed to drill down it becomes really painful because there is no reasoning about why the metrics are structured in in a particular way is there any particular drill down that a developer or an engineer can take let's say there's a oam exception then what are the logs what are the metrics that i want to see as an engineer mm-hmm. so that perspective if it is missing as while developing then it's very hard you have n number of metrics n number of logs but when you're into a problem which you need to debug like quickly within a few minutes you're nowhere so while putting in that metric that log you have to think about the user i mean user of that log meaning how a developer would be using in future this is not for me right now right i'm developing and i'm putting a metric but the usage the real usage comes in where you get stuck you need to debug something in the whole bigger system and does this make sense so if you put yourself in the user shoes uh, or actually debugger shoes then all of these um, three pillars m- make more sense while developing actually so this is very very interesting and like thank you for explaining it in such simple terms so i have a follow up question to this so i have faced like in my past experience and i think this is pretty common like in my experience i'm not sure about every uh, like um, other engineers uh, but sometimes what happens is we have metrics and we have alerts and uh, we set up some alerts but mm-hmm. then sometimes what happens is like the alerts come up too much 
uh, and then we tend to like ignore those alerts that kind of thing has happened with me so like what are the steps which we can take to like resolve that problem yeah um that's a very 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 relevant question alerts if it is noise then the purpose the whole purpose is lost right you the developer will simply silence them and you don't uh, look at them anymore and even if it is a genuine alert actually you won't be alerted then what's the point of having that alert so there should be a maintenance uh, schedule uh, even for alerts and uh, if you are silencing them second time uh, then then you should ask yourself as a question like is this alert does this does this make sense in any scenario actually and what are the what are those scenarios and if it is not one of those scenarios why is the alert coming now what can i make so put it as a ticket in your jira uh, or in your backlog um saying tweak this alert to make it to make it work seriously and um, you should refine the alerts as you go and even metrics you might think something when a product or a project is taking off uh, that this might be a common scenario this could be a common scenario or this is a a major challenge this could be a major challenge and we should all be alerted as within seconds or we should be able to page etc but eventually as the project takes up there could be more important things more scenarios which need your attention right mm. um so it needs alerting and monitoring needs a maintenance schedule so depending on how your organization works take one couple of hours every month at least to clean up all the team actually as a together uh, as a team activity you can say like bug bash sessions you can have an alert uh, bashing sessions you know i mean this doesn't make it any sense anymore because things have evolved um, let's get it off it or confine this to a, a particular scenario whatever works okay um, yeah that makes sense okay yeah this is good and uh, yeah i'll try it out so this is again an extension question above what all we have discussed as part of your experience at atlassian and resape so what should be a software engineer's approach towards solving a complex problem i i think this is getting repeated but like uh, maybe we can think of three or four steps so that like mm. in terms of software engineering yeah yeah in terms of software engineering um software engineering i would like to see that as a craft you know and as any other engineering there is a major difference between software engineering and other engineering uh, this our craft is to has an extra dimension to it which is maintenance um, you know or evol- evolution evolution more than maintenance that's evolution so no other uh, engineering has evolution once uh, once a bridge is made it is it's made it's a it's a structure that is going to live for 100 years whatever but our craft software engineers uh, have to keep one thing uh, alive in their minds at every moment which is extensibility so uh, i see over engineering in terms of extensibility thinking that oh this should be extensible this, this should be extensible blah 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 and uh, coming from the oops background and, and all and a lot of design patterns etc etc on the other side um it will be it would be very naive so how do you balance this um over engineering and no engineering at all just writing a working program right that that doesn't solve our purpose of extensibility so balancing this these two and crafting why i said craft the use of word craft is to make it appealing to make 
make an intuitive entry towards the code in in the code right uh, there should be a way of easing yourself through the code if it has beautifully written and um that also uh, depends on the craftsman who whoever craft women could be um uh, right so these two i see them either too low or too big that is for junior at junior engineers level again but when it comes to design um i'm taking a bottom up approach right now i mean to answer this question right now because we have talked from uh, top down before yeah so the code we talked and this the design when you put in a design do you know what are the kind of scenarios that it may fail or it could fail actually play devil's role on your own designs uh, what are its weak points where where are the where are the failure points and do that failure mode analysis much before you actually uh, start developing right in your design can you analyze your design critically from a third pers- person's perspective or you can invite even um, another team or another your mentor or whoever it is some ex person who is not invi- involved in the design exercise uh, to look at the design critically and point out the uh, failure mode analysis usually this is done after the uh, after the design is implemented but but <laughs> the harm is already done right i mean you had implemented it and it's ready to launch and now if you if you know that oh i shouldn't have used sqs there but i should have used some other queue what is the use um, no right yeah so do the failure mode analysis out of the design not on the not after implement and you should list down all the scenarios uh, of when it can fail from a capacity perspective how much how many transactions if it is a transaction how many requests if it is a http service how many requests can it hold a concurrent concurrency of the request how much data how much volume of the data and what is the availability what is the uptime all of these you one should have these numbers out of design you know and then um tally it or while you are implementing make sure that each of these are actually not just some figures uh, right hmm. they are actually matching after you are you have implemented and then run the perf test and see actually before launching that these are meeting uh, if you have designed it for x load for with y concurrency with blah 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 um, that is your uh, use case and you would do that perf test after you code it up um, and before you launch and then tweak it tweak the parameters of the infrastructure that you are using to make sure that it reaches it reaches that limit actually right so it's a cycle that you follow and start with understanding the the problem customer's perspective and what are the pain pain points and the solution and then you come up with the design and then you come back to i mean you do it in the code and make it a reality and then you go up again okay is this actually solving all the i mean um all the design challenges that we have started with right or did i miss anything or is the code lacking anything from the design right and then you do perf perf runs and uh, load tests etc to see actually that you have worked backwards now um all the way through and then you you will be confident and there won't be any midnight shows and war room and <laughs> what not yeah
okay this makes sense and like it's very uh, nice the way you have presented software engineering is very um, like awesome uh, like the first part is like think of whatever software you're creating is going to be uh, an evolution and uh, like it is going to change and then we have to think from that point of view we have to balance and not uh, try not to over engineer or under engineer and make your product or software extensible and then for design as well like you gave like awesome steps yeah so this is uh, this is very cool thank you for like summarizing what software engineering is so one more thing i feel this is a challenge which i have experienced over the years is that like uh, once we write a software we write it like with the best intention and what uh, like at that point of time the software is feels like it's awesome but slowly when we uh, evolve like when the products grow the soft uh, the code sometimes it becomes starts becoming more uh, like uh, complex and then we have to work uh, again and rewrite it can we avoid it or is this like part of the process of writing softwares or like what what are your thoughts around that um i believe that it is a pass it should be a part of the whole process like you clean yourself every day and you clean your house every now and then and you have to refactor your code it's not okay. yeah it's as simple as that and it's not it's not going to stop you once you have done writing it, it it will be like a diamond which is eternal which is beautiful and serving its purpose all through its life no nothing works like that in reality um, unfortunately so you have to maintain it and take time to clean it up and uh, to refactor and if you have tagged it uh, tagged it and continuously don't pay attention to them it's going to eat up it's going to pile up just like Correct. anything else um in this world which is materialistic right so yeah. um, there has to be a balance and good engineer uh, they should they should raise uh, these issues to their managers and to their uh, architects whoever it is i mean right uh, whomever they are talking to and they should at least maintain them in a backlog of saying that oh these will kill us eventually if this is not being taken care of there are priorities and there are features the feature requests there are uh, a number of things are going on um, like in anybody else's lives but um, one has to trade off um, what are we what are we holding on for what um, and is this okay to wait or no is it going to again page us in the midnight tomorrow and we can't even sleep so yeah okay that makes sense um so kind of like uh, when you were saying i i could relate it to like clothes <laughs> yeah so yes, yeah yeah so it's it's like that okay got it perfect so now i want to like get into your open source contributions so the first question around that is like how was you introduced to python and uh, how you got involved into python community ah uh, that's that dates back like <laughs> so many years before like 2009 20 uh, 2009 or so um so i was working in cdac uh, writing in c c++ and sometimes assembly also uh, some cryptographic algorithms very very performant 
um, they should be super performant. Uh, that's what I was in. And just for fun, I took up uh, Python. Some of my friends were very passionate about Python. And they said, um, they just, just play with it. And I was like, um, I still remember the wow moment when I implemented the Sudoku solver in Python within 10, 12 lines. It was like, wow. This is so powerful, and I can't imagine doing this in C++ with 100 lines. That started as a lover at first sight with, with Python. And I started doing it like, though the CREC was not using Python at all at that point of time, I would, I would discuss more about Python and its features to, um, with, with my colleagues and with, with my friends. Rather, it was not, though it's not related to my work. And then I said, oh, if you are so much passionate, then why not? Why not um, switch your jobs where Python is shining? That introduced me towards web development, which was not so much there in uh, before 2010, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Python community uh, wasn't was it so, wasn't so much prevalent in, in Bangalore at that point of time. Not even in India, maybe a handful of users. So, and one of the friends said Ruby was much more. Ruby had a more vibrant community by, by then. Ruby has these conferences and all. Why not? Why not we organizing PyCon? PyCon India. Um, that was one, and the first PyCon India conference was in 2009 in in Bangalore, and we all volunteered for it. It was so much fun knowing how people are using the same language to express themselves and in solving a lot of different kinds of problems, uh, learning from each other. And without actually knowing ourselves or being conscious about it, we uh, we knew that we were getting a lot more back um, by contributing uh, to, to the community. You know, uh, I have personally started uh, talking about my work. Every bygone, I would volunteer. Some meetup groups I would attend. And, um, this was all before meetup.com did not exist by then, you know, and um, I would be only one female engineer or female developer in, in the whole room of hundreds of engineers, and things were pretty, pretty um, different. They were very different um, then. So the open source contributions, um, after I... I quit my mainstream job and was looking for looking towards freelancing or uh, opportunities in Python. I was looking at web.py, a very tiny, teeny tiny web framework which existed back then. Flask has come out later. Yeah. If you have actually known or used Flask, it's a micro, very, very small web framework. So I have. I started with that and have gotten a chance to work with Aaron Swartz. And I could not believe my luck, you know, that I would actually end up working with Aaron Swartz, who is Internet's own boy and its co-founder, uh, just because um, I was contributing to Web.py, which is his child. So I think open source has given me back much more than what I have contributed. I'm, I'm very fortunate. This is good. Uh so one thing like uh, I feel is that like open source contribution, though, although I have not uh, done it uh, myself, like I would love my, to involve myself, but um, for some reason or the other, I have not done it. But if someone wants to start open source contribution, yes. uh, what should they do? Yeah. So th this is a question that I, uh, again, come across many times. It should start. Mm -hmm. 
again, I, I, from my perspective, uh, people can have different perspectives towards it. But um, from my perspective, it is um, you, you, you love something, and uh, which is not quite right, or which needs some help, and then you you yourself involve uh, to fix that or to help them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you like something or love something, that that's who it should be. Like um, if you're if you're loving a, a particular community or particular uh, a software, and you see, oh no, this should have been better, or this should have been like this. Um, raise a ticket, chat about it in the community group, and take advice and raise a ticket at least, and see how can how you can contribute it, or is it, is it an own bug, is it an own issue, or is it as a design by designer, whatever it is. I mean, start a conversation and have a feel for it, right? rather than saying that oh I want to um, contribute to open source, I want to do this or do that. Come mm -hmm. from where you are right now. Look, so for example, if I'm using fast API. Um, right as a as a web framework then i may see that oh this i wish that this feature is there um okay then then i should my see myself uh putting up a proposal on is there a chance or uh that this feature could be there will it make a good addition i can start the discussion right and if that if there were thoughts if there were discussions they'll point it out otherwise you can actually put yourself there and as well implement it, um, right? Got it. So mm. it, you you can be a user yourself and have a feel for it on how things work and how should it be, how could it it be, and and then yeah, you you will have a space there um, rather than being an outsider coming coming to do something else. So from my point of view, I have just been user of like Flask, Django, and all those like uh, cool uh, softwares but uh, uh, never like thought it this way that like if uh, i have I, I wish if this feature was there in flask and maybe like i can talk uh, talk about uh, it in the community and uh, like see if it has value the idea and right. then yeah okay this is good idea i mean yeah uh, like, good direction to think and get involved in the like open source community nice so this is again a generic question but like i would lo love to get your insights uh, on this as well like when uh, an engineer uh, i think you have mentioned it a bit in uh, our previous conversation as well but when an engineer is starting his uh, or her career like what should be their focus like mostly what yeah. should be there in early and mid-level career yeah, their focus is is again should be to sharpen their tools. Um, yeah, and um, there I would like to um, insist a bit on breadth and depth. You know, as junior engineers or mid level engineers, you'll not you might not have the choice of uh, dictating the tech stack that you are working with, right? Obviously, um, it's it's there for a reason this tech stack that you're working on will be there for a reason but even if you are coming from a different background actually can you compare um, the features and can you um, if you're able to relate why this this particular tech stack is the best for this particular project then then yeah it not only increases your own learning you know and let's say i'm a big python lover uh, but at atlassian it's java it's, it's a java company mostly mm -hmm. there are a few projects but 
why is it Java? Um, it's not like rather than seeing that as a challenge or oh, why not the tools that I am interested in? Why is why does this exist? Are there better ways to do it? Right? And um, it can this conversation can go on in your head for databases. Okay, why Postgres? Why not MySQL? My, why Elasticsearch? Why why a particular um, particular component, particular particular service, or particular infrastructure is being used in this particular project that I am working on. People, mm -hmm. um, not many people actually think about it or ask their seniors about those decisions. It's a it's a big learning, right? How do they how do they actually um, come to a particular tech stack? Uh, what are the other other uh, alternatives that they have actually traded off and that becomes more important when you're looking when you're working on not a greenfield project right you might not have been working on that particular project since the starting of it and people don't question it uh, so start questioning yourselves in a in a good way not in a challenging way um why is x being used why why is y being used all that questions and it improves not only improves your learning and it will also open up new doors for new things to happen and the the second thing is uh, um, that improves your depth of the project that you're working on. And right. um, and again, on the balancing uh, thing, you one should again balance the breadth and depth. So, for example, if I know a particular database technology, or if I'm a fan of a particular database technology, that should not make me blind to other evolving. Uh, database technologies. Oh, like we. Oh, that that has come up um, to solve a particular problem. Now let me let me go check. How is it different from what my um, favorite database technology is? Right. So that the breadth actually comes in. So best places to learn these is I find myself um, uh, conferences. Uh, they help you a lot with the breadth. So you have a mental mind map of. How things stand in the in the tech ecosystem, and how things are evolving, and what are the niche ones or new entries, and what are the feature differences that they have with our favorite or our daily use tools, right? So this all this will contribute back to your sharpen your tools thing, and that's very much required in the initial stages of um, an engineer's journey. I I I would feel, and um. I think I have insisted uh, enough on the real world problems and understanding them in multiple um, conversations. I think be a go-to person for something. Um, aim to be a go-to person. Oh, Devi, Devi knows absorbability so much. Like, if I have a question on uh, on how should I structure my logs or what kind of metrics that should I put, um, I'll better go to Devi. I mean, just as an example. So. Yep. That person, whether it is a database technology or a language uh, expertise or oops or design or AWS, name it. I mean, you you take from your passion. Any engineer should should have that should carve out that um, nice niche, you know, from from what they are passionate about. So be that go-to person, and yeah, have have fun with mentors. A mutual mutually wonderful relationship to have so i think that's that's all if you are doing all these then you'll be an awesome engineer in 
couple of years. Yeah, this is very interesting. And like, I agree with all, everything you mentioned there. Like, and uh, I also try to, as I mentioned before, like try to understand the reason behind like why the software is getting built and why the why this is getting used instead of that and all these things actually helps and yeah so this is um, very interesting anyways um, let's go to the next question which i have for you like from your linkedin profile uh, i saw that you have taken a career break like uh, to take care of your girls so uh, how was your like journey to get back to the tech uh, after taking the break and yeah do you have any suggestions for women who are in their mid-career level and would want to explore the mom world and uh, what approach they can take to minimize the impact in their career yeah wow wow this is <laughs> this has multiple dimensions to it to this question um i think it was very very hard for me if i remember uh, actually, I still remember uh, the way that I took two years of uh, maternity, maternity break for my first one. Okay, and I was not sure if I can type as fast as I could on my first day. My fingers did not move. And I was feeling so low, like, do you, do you even remember? <laughs> do you remember anything kind of thing? But, but that's why I, I'm, I'm, again, fortunate to take it, it very easily. And I have enjoyed the two years of the break. Uh, did not bother about anything which is happening around in the tech world. Uh, shut down my laptop totally, uh, which worked for me, but might not work uh, for everyone else. Um, I would suggest is, and what worked for me was I was, I was known as a solid engineer by then before getting into uh, my maternity break. So I knew Aaron's words, and Aaron's words knew my work. Um, mm -hmm. and, I was known in Python communities um, uh, for my for my work, or I was talking by them in in conferences. That made me, you know, oh, when I when I have actually come back uh, from the break and said, can you refer me, or do you have any projects? There are there are so many good responses. Oh, oh wow, uh, great that you're coming coming back, and we have a small project. Would you like to do that kind of things? You know. Uh, hmm. six months whatever uh, I wanted to be a freelancer at that point of time coming back um, so that I could balance my uh, career and uh, the baby so it worked out very well um, if, if I was not known as a solid engineer before that it would have been really really hard and all this uh, what fear or this imposter syndrome, whatever, what, whatever you call it, it, they would have taken a toll on me. But, uh, but the support system that I that was created before had actually come to my rescue. Um, so that's my advice, and uh, that I I give to all uh, engineers, whether men or uh, I mean women, right? Before they wanted to get into some very breaks to try something else in their life. Um, I've seen men also trying something else in their lives and um, wanting to do X, Y, Z, our maternity break for women. Um, this is the thing that I would like to say. If you have that ecosystem, if you know, uh, if you are known by your managers that, oh, this is a rock solid engineer and we can count on them, 
they will have opportunities for you. They will make opportunities for you, and they can refer um, you back in some other organizations. They can they can do anything, and that's very important. Um, so so work hard and sharpen your tools before getting into your break, and enjoy your break without any guilt. That's more important than anything else. Otherwise, what is the break for, right? Um, yeah. And, and then come back. Come back like a king or a queen um, with the support. This is awesome. And like, oh, it's awesome. And I have seen a lot of my friends as well who have taken a break and like they took uh, a long break and now they're slowly joining back in their career. Uh, but few of them, they just leave uh, uh, like the career and then just uh, like continue to be stay at home mom but yeah that's all their decision yeah. but i i just uh, sometimes feel that uh, it should not be because uh, you are feeling underconfident uh, yeah. about your yourself and that's why you're, you're leaving a stuff which you loved so much like yeah. to me i cannot think about not being a software engineer <laughs> so, personally yeah that's so, nice. yeah so yeah, so I've seen both kind of people and like your words actually motivates a lot. And the thing which you said uh, about like become uh, like become recognized about your work, like do good work while you are initial years of your career so that you have that back, like people are ready to support you, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So since you are woman leader, I wanted to ask this question specifically to you. What would you say to a very ambitious, introverted woman who wants to make a mark in the tech world? Like, oh, wow. Uh, stand up for yourself. Stand up, really. Many, many women that I know of, um, they do awesome work. They really work hard, much more than other colleagues. Um, but they don't stand up for themselves, you know. They don't. Um, they shy away to to showcase their skills. Um, they they don't um, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing. They take that step back. Oh, let me be calm, or let let somebody else talk about, or wait for somebody else to talk about my work. That never happens in, in a corporate world. Um, so stand up for your own work, and we need more and more women to showcase their work so that our next generations are coming up generations they they know that oh there were awesome women in previous generations also it's not only men who are doing great work there are yeah. other sides also who are taking up a lot of lot of good work and number two is create or get into the the communities that that celebrate you and support you there are lots of lots of communities nowadays i mean it's not like when i was in my um, early stages of career right i mean back then there was no support i i i have heard of the word or a phrase of women in tech um after spending 10 years of my career in my career so um it's highly celebrated and you're seen as a model role model now every woman in tech uh, has to celebrate their own success so far from whatever beginnings that, that they had, right? Everyone would have had their own share of problems, whatever burdens or blockers or whatever to to cross and then come to be what you are today. And so 
celebrate it, continue doing good work and show it up and and um, cheer, cheer, cheer up more, uh, more young women engineers and back them up. Um, if you are a manager or a senior engineer, um, be that support that you wanted yourself, maybe in your early career, early phases of your career. Right. I think that's, yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah. So I just wanted to add, like, I feel that the person I have been till now. So I I actually like struggle with a lot of imposter syndrome. Like one small thing goes wrong. And then I tend to think like I am not good enough, that kind of person. Yeah. So yeah. So this keeps on happening. And but the good part is I was laid off from Google. And um I don't know exactly like what wh- what happened and how my name popped up. So but the good part is I had a lot of support. And uh, I mean, the, uh, the thing which you're saying that be the person who support, who enable other women or even men to grow in their career. So I found those kind of people around me, both inside my family and even in the outside world in my, what do you say? So I found those people. So that's a big deal, actually. And that actually gave me, even in my worst state, I, it gave me a lot of confidence. Like, yeah, it actually makes sense. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I mean, I really like nice to hear that. Yeah, I like the conversation with you is like awesome. Yeah, so this was my last question to you, actually. But uh, before uh, leaving, I also want to ask one more question like what would you uh, suggest like people who have like a lot of in- imposter syndrome or like people who are very sensitive like uh, to small, small, like negative things, like what would you suggest to them? Mm. Yeah, um, I think um, we are all human beings, uh, much before we are software engineers, and we have to work on being a very good human being as well uh, before we become or we are uh, targeting ourselves to be a very good software engineer or software professional, which are professional it is. Um, so work work on your yourself as well and by becoming a good person yourself um, you can reach any heights that you want in any profession not only software engineering so don't take it um, don't take them um, easy or small um, uh, whether it is small negativity or imposter syndrome it is just like learning a quirk in a particular language just take take it like that you know see see it like that rather than calling it a mental health blah 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 don't label it like that but you need to work on each of these to become a better person or to become a better version of yourself every day so there's no there's no second way to go about it i believe in it and i have i'm trying still and yeah to become the next version of myself and that next version will keep on talking, right? so um, yeah yeah it's a journey you know there's no destination correct uh, yeah even i believe in that so that's very nice keep evolving and uh, learn from where you want to be and be that person and then your goal will change to become another person and so on yeah. this is awesome yeah so this comes to the end of our podcast thank you so much devi for joining me on be curious with Trishti. it was a pleasure talking to you great speaking to you Trishti. It, it's been a, a wonderful conversation thank you so much for inviting again hope this is yeah. 
Uh, this is useful for your audience as well. Thank you.